The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey, I'm Haley Hubbard, mom to three and wife to a country music star. And I'm Jess Diamond, registered dietitian nutritionist and mom to one. And this is Meaningful Living, a community to make parenting and life a little easier and a lot less lonely. Every week, we talk to experts, parents, and answer your questions to share the practical tips and real side of parenting we all need. Because when you remove the doubt, fear, and stress from everyday decisions, you create more time for the meaningful moments. It takes a village. We're so excited to share ours with you. Today, we're talking to Chelsea Smith. She is a pastor, a mom to three, and a huge inspiration in my life. And she also just happens to be one of my closest friends. We can't wait to share our conversation about faith and kids with you. And remember, if you love this episode, leave us a review or share it with a friend. You're our village, and we're so happy you're here. Thanks for listening. Chelsea, thank you so much for being here today. It's always good seeing you and and just so good to have you here on the podcast. Oh, I'm beyond excited to be here talking with, well, Jessica, just meeting you for the first time, but Haley, one of my favorite people on the planet. And I'm not, I'm not an exaggerator. So I really, really do mean that (laughs) getting to talk about kids, one of my favorite topics. So I'm just so, so excited. Oh, we are too. And truly I'm always inspired by you and just the way you lead and love people and also by your relationship, the way that you parent and your faith. And and just before I met you, even I was like, that woman seems like the most incredible woman ever. And then after meeting you, I was like, wow, she has completely surpassed all of my already high expectations of her in the best way. And just and how you live your life. And so we're excited to just pick your brain about how you parent and how you lead in in a time like this. It it, it is such a tough time with social media and and everything and with faith. And we're at a point in our lives where we have little ones and we're wondering, how do we do this? How do we how do we show them the way? And anyways, I just I love you and how you're not afraid to be vulnerable, which which I know could probably be a difficult thing in the roles that you're in. You're a pastor, you're a pastor's wife, you're a mother, and you run all the things. And so, yeah, I first want to just ask you how you got into being a pastor and what inspired you to do that? Oh, man. Well, first of all, thank you for the compliment. That's, I think, one of the nicest things anyone's ever said about me. So, I mean, it's one thing to have a life that people admire. but And you and I know each other very well. We went to therapy together. So we know all of the deep, dark secrets, like, like you know, the true <laughs> deepest parts of the inside of me. So that coming from you is, is we went to, we didn't go to therapy, like for me and you, but we went to group right. therapy together just to clear. We did a fun coupleship. What is that what they called it? Coupleship? Yeah. I didn't, yeah. We called it a it lot a very cool experience for anyone that's listening to do group couples therapy. Yeah, it was it was amazing, life changing, and I learned just as much from you guys as we did from, the, you know, it, it was just phenomenal. Likewise, so, loved it. So I grew up in church. I was a church girl. Loved church. Love everything about it. My parents, you know, brought brought me to church every Sunday, every Wednesday. They were not involved in ministry at all, but they really loved Jesus and loved church. But I think what I saw in their life is they did not grow up with a relationship with God at all, and I saw that. Their families were amazing, but my dad's brother committed suicide. My 
mom's dad was bipolar and so were a few of her brothers in and out of prison. And my parents just had a very different life. And by the time I became a teenager, I started to wonder how did my parents know how to parent me so well? Like I, you know, they're not perfect, but they were generally really good parents. And I realized it's because they had this community of church around them that really changed my parents' life as well as having a knowing Jesus and having their own personal faith. And so I think something about the church just really intrigued and inspired me. And I tried working for my dad in his business for a little bit. That did not go so well. And in the meantime, I just felt this, just this desire to help people. So I I started a group, met with high school girls when I was 18, 19, and just trying to get into dive into their lives and help them be their best selves. And then I was going to college to become a high school guidance counselor because I thought, oh, that's just the way I can I can help people. And then at that point, sad to say in the, in the mid nineties, it wasn't easy for a woman to be in ministry, even though in church ministry, even though that was what I wanted to do, but I just didn't see a clear path there. And then I, Judah and I fell in love and got married and we just did it together. So it was a, it was a fun, natural progression to, to be in ministry and church and all that fun stuff. That is so cool. I didn't know that about you. I feel like we know a lot about each other and I didn't really know that full story. Yeah, right. I feel like we know like the details, like like really like <laughs> deep into the stuff, but like some of the peripheral per- stuff. It's like, yeah, we skipped that part. That's okay. <laughs> we went in. That's so interesting that they, you said your parents didn't grow up in the church at all. No, not at all. Well, that's so intriguing because one of my big questions right now is how to introduce faith to our kids and what are simple ways that we can create like a foundation of faith for our kids, Mm -hmm. especially when they're these ages and we do the basics or what I would consider the basics or like praying at meals and praying at bedtime. And we watch church home on some weekends and when we're home and we tell them that Jesus is in their heart and, and very much talk about Jesus but I'm like, is it time to go deeper? How do we go deeper? And when do we do that? I need, we need help. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I, I, so I, my kids right now are, my oldest is 17. He's about to turn 18 next month, which is just blowing my mind. He is already wow. planning his tattoo that he wants for his 18th birthday, which feels like such a what is he, Gen Z? It feels like such a Gen Z thing to do, but I love him. Our second is 15, and then our baby is 13. We have two boys and a girl. And there's nothing that makes you feel like you don't know what you're doing when it comes to parenting like teenagers. When my kids were eight or nine, I was like, yeah, I totally I have this parenting thing figured out. And then teenagers is just a whole nother ball game. So anybody who tells you they know exactly what they're doing, please run screaming the other direction because (laughs) they don't, they don't have a clue. So yeah, that's the first disclaimer. I think the most important thing with faith, first of all, is to figure out why it is important for you to introduce your kids to faith. Is it just something that you feel like you're doing out of tradition or is it something that you feel like you're doing because that's how you grew up or you're just doing it to make your parents happy? You know, I don't know. There's so many different right. reasons why we could feel compelled to introduce our kids to faith. For me, obviously, as a pastor, as a follower of Jesus, as a Christian, it was part of me. But I feel like if we don't really know the why in the world that we live in, there's so many 
things that we should be doing for our kids. Like, are we making our baby food? Are we limiting their, I don't know what all the pressures are in moms these days. I know like mom of young kids back in my days, all the things that you, you know, like I'm air quoting should be doing for your kids. And if we don't have a solid why for introducing our kids to faith, I think it'll just fall by the wayside because there's just too many other important things that we need to be doing for our Mm -hmm. kids. And so for me, introducing your kids to faith and I'm watching it play out in real time with teenagers is so important for them to learn about who God is because through learning who God is, I think that's the surest way for them to know who they are and watching my, my kids all go to um, public schools. It's public charter schools, but the things they face on a daily basis are really, they face real real things. Teenagers at young ages face really hard things and things that come and try to attack attack their identity, if that makes sense, make them feel like they need to do something outside of who they are to fit in or whatever. And I feel like if kids can have an understanding of God, that God created them, that he made them for a purpose, and even beyond that, that he loves them unconditionally, that they can never do anything to earn his love. They can never do anything to unearn his love, that that is at such a core for them to know who they are. Cause there's nothing that makes us feel more valuable than knowing that we're loved. And it's one thing to know that your parents love you, but to know that God, the creator of the universe actually loves me, that he made me the way I am. He gave me my eye color, my hair color, my skin color, my ethnicity, and all these things that make me uniquely me didn't come by chance, but they came by creator God is I just think so important for our kids to have that foundation. And so even at the age of your kids, when it feels like, oh, am I reading them their ABCs or am I you know, trying to teach them something about God? It, the ABCs can feel so much more. Well, they need that for kindergarten, which is, you know, is it next year? Next year for Liv, is she a year I, away from kindergarten? I think she might be too. She okay. has another full year of school and then kindergarten. Oh, I think I don't know how that works. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I should. <laughs> I, well, and we held our oldest son. We held back, so it, yeah, it, it depends. You know, the ABCs can be, feel so immediate, like they need that right, right. now. Whereas the, their spiritual foundation finding faith can feel like, oh, do they really need that? Is that really necessary? So many other things can can feel important. So for you as moms, figuring out the why, why am I introducing my kids to faith and realizing that if they can know God, they can know themselves and that they can, that'll keep them true to their identity, not just to their teenage years, but hopefully their whole lives, then, then that'll give us that, that tenacity that we need to actually walk it out. It should come as no surprise that I take my grocery shopping very seriously. So when I found Thrive Market, I knew I had found a complete game changer for me. Thrive Market is a one-stop shop for everything you need to live a healthy lifestyle. I can find everything from groceries to toothpaste, and it's all at an affordable price. With Thrive Market, you can shop everything from healthy pantry essentials and sustainable meat and seafood to non-toxic cleaning products, and it's delivered right to your door. And if you find a lower price elsewhere, they'll match it. And yes, they'll really actually match it. I love that I could trust Thrive Market and the products they carry. They carefully vet each and every item so you can trust that if they sell it, it's probably the highest quality available. 
Finding everything you need is easy on Thrive Market because you can filter by so many options and dietary lifestyles from vegan to gluten-free, zero waste, and more. Thrive Market makes it so easy to search for products so you can shop by what you eat and what matters to you most. With over 5,000 food, home, and beauty products, you're sure to find what you're looking for. The best part is that when you join Thrive Market, you're also sponsoring a family in need. Plus, with their fast and free carbon-neutral shipping, you're also bettering our planet. Can your grocery store do that? Join Thrive Market today and get 40% off your first order and a free gift worth over $50. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash living to get 40% off your first order and a free gift worth over $50. That's thrivemarket.com slash living, thrivemarket.com slash living. Now let's get back to our conversation. Are you going on date after date and still not finding the one or getting a text back? Well, you're probably doing something wrong. And I am here to tell you exactly what that is. I'm Lindsay Metzler and I host We Met at Acme. It's a dating podcast that gives you all the rules and guidelines that you need to date successfully. Hey, it worked for me and now I'm married. So you really should give it a listen if you haven't already. And you can also hear the horrors of dating. Everything that you want to hear is in We Met at Acme. So check it out. Gosh, you just reminded me the other night, Liv said, she looked at me and she said, I had actually just got that face cream you told me about, Jess. So my, my skin was glowing. Wait, can you tell me? I need a face cream that makes my skin glow. <laughs> it was enough to make Liv in the dark of her room. She looked at me and she goes, Mommy, you're so beautiful. Why are you so beautiful? And I almost laughed because <laughs> just like her enthusiasm of how she said it. And I was like, oh, this face cream really works. And then <laughs> she she's like, now say it to me. And I was like, because I did say, Liv, you're so beautiful. And she goes, that's because God made me that way. And like, that was her little response. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. This is the sweetest moment. I need to just bookmark this and remember this forever. But and record it for her so that when she is 13, like my daughter is and looking on Instagram or, you know, or feeling like I'm not Mm -hmm. this like this friend or that like this friend and all of that comparison and teenager stuff starts to happen. But like that seed that she has that she knows she's beautiful because God made her that way. Oh, that's so Precious. I mean, oh, and I don't mean that in a condoning way. I mean, it's so valuable. That's amazing. Right. I love Liv. She's, oh, she's so funny. So. Made me laugh. So anyway, sorry, back to back to what you were saying. <laughs> what are some good resources? I know you and Judah wrote an amazing storybook that we read to our kids. We also gave it to all of our kids, friends for Christmas. And it's like such a hit. It's called I Will Follow Jesus. What Obviously, that's a great resource for kids. Are there some other good resources that you might share for parents? Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, I love that book because it's, uh, yeah, I love kids and I love my babies. It's so fun. So good. But I think what's so great about even the thought behind that is it is it's adding faith to an already established routine. That if you have a bedtime routine and you're already planning on reading, that faith is an element of a routine instead of this whole, I remember when I was a kid. We had family devotions. Did you, did, did either of you grow up in a Christian, in a family of faith or? I, I was just like 
we went to church, but it wasn't like the relationship. We, I grew into the relationship myself, you know, in high school and college, I think. But it was more of the ritual of like going to church and and we would say our nighttime prayers, but that was kind of it. Yeah, that that makes sense. Yeah, same thing. Same thing for us, where it felt very ritualistic, but I'm not so sure that there was really like that deeper. I found that later in life. And and I think we'll talk about that in this episode, but I definitely think it was much more superficial, but I think there needs to be this superficial start to it that then you can layer deeper. Yes. Yeah. Like that those rituals actually do can translate. I think the most important thing, even beyond ritual and this is like the worst parenting answer ever is your your kids actually just do what they see you doing they are such sponges of our behavior of our attitudes of what's really inside of us and i mean i just think first and foremost to introduce our kids to faith is that we do it in a way that's authentic to ourselves that if we're if faith is something real to us then making it something real to our kids. And if, if we talk about kindness, you know, and for us, kindness is something that we do for me as a Jesus follower, because I believe that every human was created in the image of God. So therefore I should be kind to every human. I can say that, but if my kids see me doing something else, they are so going to follow what they see me doing, not what they hear me saying, which is just one of the most humbling things as a parent and as a human being is that your kids follow your actions so much more than your words. So Jesus help us with our actions. But, you know, the authenticity of faith for ourselves as, as, as parents is, I think, the most important thing in introducing our kids to faith. It's just having it come from ourselves authentically. And if you're authentically mm-hmm. searching, let your kids see you authentically search. I, I don't think our kids need to see us have everything together wrapped up in a in a bow. But even mm-hmm. I just think every age of kids being ourselves, obviously for age appropriate things and not putting weights on them that they can't handle, but not trying to present ourselves in a way that isn't true. So I'll just throw that out there for rituals for kids. Like if you're just trying to, do rituals that don't matter to you, then I don't know. They'll, they'll, they'll do something for your kids, but it's really, I like, that's what I think, but it's really interesting that both of your experiences were opposite of mine and you guys ended up with your own personal faith, even though you were just introduced through rituals. It was a journey. <laughs> it was a journey for <laughs> sure. And meeting people like you and Judah. Um, but I, I love that you said that and that is so authentic to who you are because I feel like you are so authentic and like I said at the beginning, just very real. And I like that that you show your kids that because that is so important and you are raising such incredible kids. I love your kids and I can't wait to get to know them even more. But what are some of the major core values that you've instilled in your kids throughout the years? Oh, I love that question. And I would say the the biggest one, and this hit me when our my our oldest son, you know, I love all my kids equally. They always your kids do this, um, Haley, try to figure out who your favorite is. Maybe they're not quite old enough yet, but my kids are obsessed with trying to figure out who my favorite is. And oh I Oh my gosh. I genuinely don't have a favorite. I just I love them all equal but different. But there is something about yes. your firstborn, just because for me, for our oldest Zion, I'd never experienced a mom's love until I had 
him. And so that was just so life-changing him. And he was born premature. So he was tiny and in an incubator. And I remember watching this little tiny baby who at this point had done nothing for me except for, you know, completely ruined my body (laughs) and, you know, just all sorts of things that we don't need to get into. Um, And at this point, you know, cost thousands of thousands of dollars in medical bills because he was premature. And so he had done absolutely nothing for me, but I'm watching him in this teeny incubator and my heart just felt like it was going to explode with love. Remember that feeling where it's just, you almost feel like you can't contain yes. it. And I realized, cause your, your love with your husband is different. It's like, you guys chose each other. It doesn't feel like an unconditional love. It feels like a very conditional love, right? Our wedding vows are, mm-hmm. I'll love you. Will you love me? Yes. Okay. I'll, I'll stay with you. You'll stay <laughs> with me. Yes. Okay. There's, there's conditions, but for those babies, it's just unconditional love that they don't earn, they don't deserve. And it just, it just makes your heart explode practically. And so for that core value for me, for our kids, I've told them at such a young age, you cannot do anything to make me love you anymore. And you can't do anything to make me love you any less. You are here and I love you just because you're my son. And my prayer for our kids experiencing that love from us, not that we're perfect, is that in their faith, they would know that is how their heavenly father, God, their creator loves them. I believe that Jesus came and he died for us because he loves us unconditionally. And we don't earn his love and we can't unearn his love. He just loves us because we are his children. And so, I mean, I'd say the first and foremost value is that unconditional love that they would see it and receive it from us. And because they're getting it from us, they would see that that is how God feels about them. Other values, I mean, I would say kindness is probably just the biggest one up there for us. I think I mentioned that earlier because we are all created in the image of God, every human, that kindness just isn't an option is so important. And then attitudes are, I mean, I think from a young age, always it was you guys are in this, but the, uh, the backflip, you know, the like they're the noodle body, you know, that's just like. it's like a physical expression of an attitude, you know, either uh, I'm angry or I don't care or something. Eye rolls. Yes. We're starting to get eye rolls from Luke. And it's like, if I think those are the most important things at the ages that you guys are at to focus on even so much more than behavior because attitudes drive behavior, not the other way around. And so keeping those core, focusing on those core elements of who they are, which are their attitudes. Are they, are they grateful? Are they, are they kind? Are they not feeling entitled? Are they humble? All of those core attitudes, I think are so much more important than even the behavior because the behavior will follow the attitudes. Yeah. Which again, goes back to what you were saying. Like it's a a great accountability thing and keeps us humble because they're going to do it what we're going to do. And I feel like that's been the best accountability for me as a parent. I'm like, oh, my daughter's watching. Or if my daughter was watching, would I say that? Or would I do that? Yes. It's nothing will keep you more honest than your little, little copiers. The only thing better than a good cup of iced coffee is the drinking it on your own terms. Say goodbye to that watered down at home attempt at making iced coffee. 
What if I told you you could get your cold brew on tap? Wandering Bear makes smooth, rich, chocolatey tasting cold brew that is so incredibly delicious. They put it in a box with a tap, just like boxed wine. The box keeps it fresh and makes it super convenient for you to fill up your cup every morning. It's so convenient and good that it's a hot commodity in our house and I can barely restock it fast enough for Tyler. It's pretty much like having a fancy coffee shop in your refrigerator. A coffee lover's dream come true. This 100% organic and super strong brew will have you feeling energized. Each glass is equivalent to having two espresso shots, but it tastes so smooth. Big energy with no bitter bite. I'm always looking for the perfect midday pick-me-up, and this, this is hands down my favorite. They have six different flavors to choose from. Straight black, vanilla, caramel, mocha, hazelnut, and even decaf. They're seriously all delicious, but the best part is that Wandering Bear is completely organic, sugar-free, and dairy-free. They also offer subscriptions, so you'll never run out of coffee, and it's a way better price per cup versus that daily coffee shop run. I love knowing that Wandering Bear is a small company and that you'll also be supporting a growing business with each cup of coffee. And lucky you, we have an exclusive offer just for Meaningful Living listeners. Get 20% off your order with code LIVING at wanderingbear.com. Again, that's 20% off your order with code LIVING at wanderingbear.com. We know you'll love this super smooth cold brew. Now let's get back to our chat. Judah, my husband, who I love and is awesome and is such a great man, and he tells this on himself, so I'm not uncovering. He is very passionate in life, but especially on the golf course. And he like has no problem if he hits a bad shot, like absolutely chucking a golf club. And like, and he has he has a pretty good arm. Like he'll get it he'll get it pretty far. And one of the first times when our oldest Zai was probably two or three, they were like in a little putt putt. All of a sudden, we just see Zion just chuck a golf club, and it was the most. I mean, you're trying not to laugh, but also right. realizing, oh yeah, they do exactly what they see us do. So funny, it's pretty crazy. And then they become teenagers, and they try to pretend like they don't, but they still do. It's a weird thing. I don't, I don't understand it, but. Teenage world is, is its own thing. It's a whole weird time period. <laughs> yes, it is. When you said that your kids joke about who's the favorite, my husband's one of three, and he always talks about how that was joked about when he was a kid. But you do such a good job about seeing each kid for who they are. So how do you nurture each one of them, but knowing that they have different personalities and different strengths and weaknesses? Oh man, that is such a good question, especially at the ages where those things are being being developed. Our middle son, who has given me permission to talk about this area of his life, he is my like he's my like teddy, like he's just my sweet cuddler. He inherited what I call his dad's gift of passion. He doesn't do anything halfway. He doesn't do anything, you know, all all in his own, you know, anything half-hearted. It's he's either all in or all out. When he was little he expressed it in anger. And I mean, he was the kid who got kicked out of nursery several times for hitting and biting. And like, we were the pastors of the church. And he honestly, like if a kid bites twice back in those days at church, kids care, they could come back for a month. And I was the mom whose kid got kicked out for for a month for biting. And so he's, he's very, he has this gift of passion. I remember when he was about seven or eight, him just crying and just saying, mom, I don't, I don't want to be angry. I don't want to be this way. And it was at that moment, I just felt that 
I'm trying to put it in a way that's not too like Christianese, but I have a relationship with Jesus that's so real to me. And so sometimes I just, I just feel like thoughts in my head that I know didn't come from me that I really believe came from God. And so I just had this thought dropped in, in my head, which was, he doesn't have a problem with anger. He has a gift of passion. And so from that point on, when he was so discouraged by himself, and there's nothing like seeing your babies just discouraged with themselves. It's it's heartbreaking. And really telling him, no, Elf, you have you have a gift of passion. It's it's amazing. And now seeing him as a 15-year-old, and he's he is he's six four. He is a tall young man and he's super strong. Like he could hurt somebody if he still wanted to. But that anger really has turned into a gift of passion for him. And he just is so compassionate and so caring and so loving. And so in that, with each kid, seeing those things and identifying them and speaking life over them. And I often feel like what are their strengths as that they will carry with them for so long can be weaknesses when they're toddlers, when they're little, because it's these things that they're so good at or so gifted at. I mean, I think Olivia is so brilliantly gifted verbally. I mean, she just, the things that she says, I, I just I'm like, how did she come up with that? She's amazing. But it maybe she talks too much or talks at the wrong time, or, you know, it's that <laughs> gift that is not coming out in the positive right now. It's coming right. out in the negative. But just speaking life over those things and finding the right words to to label them in a positive way and letting them each be different with each child is so helpful. And I just think it comes from time and observation and just spending time with those babies and not all together, but individually just helps you see them for who they are so that you can say who they are and that they can really begin to wrap their identity around that. But it is, it's not, it's not easy when you have multiple kids, right? Haley, do you feel like you did, you finally get something figured out and then, and then Luca comes along and he needs it so differently than Liv did. Oh my gosh, completely. And then I'm like, oh, well, Liv's really easy to spend time with right now because I don't, you know, she can walk and talk and do all the things. And so I end up spending more time with one than the other. And then, and then I go back and overcompensate in the other area and Liv's like, mom, I need time. And just, it's, it's hard. Okay, this is my, one of my personal things, but my mom was very concerned with being fair. I have one other sister. It's just me and a sister. And I say my parents were amazing, but not perfect. And I think one of the things that I wish my mom could have done better was not try to be fair all the time and not realizing that kids mm. come in seasons and different kids have different needs and not being in this prison of fairness that we feel like we can be hindered by as a mom. So maybe you can be released from that. Yes. Thank you. That feels good. That feels good to hear. I always say presence over fairness. Like the more you can be present with your kid in those moments, it's not about this person got three hours and this person got three hours or this person got a solo date and a solo date. It's like when you're one-on-one with them, you see them, you hear them, you're present. And that's the best gift we can give our kids, I think. I love that so much. I'm going to take that and steal it from you and use it. That is so good, Jessica. That's amazing. So good. Steal it anytime. <laughs> so I have some questions about faith. I think a lot of times people kind of grew up in a place where it's sometimes forced upon them. And so the question that I really want to know is just how do we kind of create this environment that's safe and open so that they can really have their own relationship with God and their own relationship with faith? Oh, I love that question because that is absolutely 
the goal. I mean, Judah and I say so much about our kids. We're not trying to raise good kids. We're trying to raise good adults that keep, you know, working, working with the end in mind, which is how they are as an adult. And one of our biggest prayers for them, obviously, as an adult is that they will have their own relationship with God and let it be. And I think it's like so many other things in parenting that it really is letting go of control, realizing that we cannot control what their personal relationship with God ends up looking like. And for me, when they hit those teenage years was when I really had to sink my teeth into this and realize that I can't control what their relationship with God is. And so just first of all, acknowledging that at the end of the day, the result isn't up to me. It's between them and God. And Judah and I were youth pastors for a lot of years. And so we saw teenagers and it was insane to see kids who came from the exact same family with the same parenting take very different paths. Some who would absolutely love God, some who would not, some who would make crazy decisions, some who made amazing decisions, some who took roundabout paths there and some who took a straight path there. And I think that perspective really helped us that we got to see all these different dynamics play out and and learn. So I think it's first that helped that we got to acknowledge letting go that we don't control the outcome, but we do control the environment. In the process, in the meantime, with our kids, especially the younger they are, we do get to control the environment. And so incorporating things, Haley, like you were talking about, and I know you were asking for rituals and I, I realized I didn't actually answer that question. I'm so sorry. One of the most amazing things that our church has produced is bedtime stories, which is like 15 minute stories that kids can listen to by the time, you know, to like to fall asleep to or stories about God and putting that in the environment you know, before, before they fall asleep, that it's just a natural part of the routine of bedtime. It doesn't have to be, okay, here's, you know, family devotions, but here's, here's the (laughs) ritual of a church kid's bedtime story that you can fall asleep to. And I do believe that puts something inside of our children. There's a verse in the Bible that says, train up a child in the way that they should go. And when they're old, they won't depart from it. In other words, those seeds that we plant into our children are significant. They matter. They make a difference. And so incorporating those habits. And 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 again, if you try to push something on your kids that you don't ever do for yourself, then it's going to seem not real. But if they see that you lean into that and this is the way that they can lean into the same thing, it can be so significant. Uh, another really fun thing that our church does is we do church kids, which Haley, I realized, I don't even think you know about this. And it's probably, it's really probably more like starting like late preschool, elementary school. So your kids are probably just growing into this, but on yeah. Sunday mornings doing church kids parties and they're, they're, they're digital. They started in the pandemic, but it has been so fun to see. I have a nephew who is just about to turn five and he like gets up on Sunday mornings, like gets his hair done and gets prepared so that oh. he can oh. go to his church kids party and they like tell a story and they bring a joke. And it's really just like a fun interactive way to have kids experience faith in a way that they're used to, which for kids these days, it really is through a lot of digital mediums. And so providing those digital spaces for them to encounter God, not the way that I did, because my kids are going to meet him in a different way. And you mentioned, how do we not force it on them? So I think, sorry, like, I feel like I'm like making points here, but not the first is letting go go of control. But the second is actually controlling the environment and making sure that the environment they're in is faith-filled. But 
I think the third thing would be not expecting that their journey is the same as our journey because they are unique individuals and it's going to be different. And whether it's they're connecting digitally or man, I really, me personally, I really got to know Jesus by myself at 14 for my sons. Yeah. Took till they were about 17, you know, or my oldest. And then, you know, it's just different. And then realizing that's going to be different for each child as well. And just letting go of those expectations, but still having faith in the process. Your answers are giving me life. (laughs) First of all, I'm like, oh my gosh, keep talking. This is so good. And also it's like you said, it just kind of, I'm getting to let go of some of that pressure, which is so nice. As any mom can tell you, diaper changes are part of our daily lives. I spend a lot of time, I mean, a lot of time changing diapers, thinking about diapers, checking on diapers, you name it, which is why we are so excited to partner with Pampers. Your baby's skin is so delicate and you want to make sure you're protecting it by keeping it dry and healthy. Well, I cannot recommend Pampers Swathers enough. They're absorbent even for overnight wear. Yay for no middle of the night leaks, which is so key. I mean, we all want one less mess and more sleep. And with their amazing absorbency, Pampers Swaddlers wick away wetness and mess to help protect your baby's skin and keep your little ones feeling dry and happy. Keeping your baby's skin healthy requires a diaper that doesn't leave skin wet and Pampers gives you that trusted protection. Pampers Swaddlers have been a game changer for us. The absorbency means healthy skin and less diapers overall, which is just a win-win. Once you try them, you'll see why Pampers are the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Whether you're a mom of three or a mom-to-be, you'll love how Pampers keeps your baby or toddler dry and comfortable. Download the Pampers Club app today to start earning rewards with every diaper and wipes purchase. You will love them. You and Judah both. I love that you mentioned the church home for kids. Is it called Church Kids? Yeah. What is it called? Yeah, Church Kids. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So awesome. And your app is incredible. But you and Judah have shown us such a great example of how to build a community and a church around simply those solid principles based on love and kindness. All the things that you're talking about, parenting, (laughs) acceptance, the kind of church that, that we want to be a part of but ultimately that reflects Jesus. And you know, we've talked a little bit about this in the past. I've felt insecure previously before finding you guys in other churches in life until I found church home where I just felt like, oh my gosh, I have to know the Bible inside and out. Like I'm so stressed. Like, am I going to have to read the Bible? Which I'm so bad about, you know, (laughs) (laughs) my attention span is just not there. But I feel like my relationship is deep. And so something that I am so curious about is how you and Judah bring inclusivity into the church because it's so inspiring. And every time I hear you guys preach, I am just like, oh my gosh, everybody in the world needs to hear this. Like this, this is how it needs to be. And so how do you guys do that so well? Oh gosh, I... I love that question because it is so important to me because I feel like the perception of the church, and I don't know how it got there. I think everybody was well-meaning along the journey, but somehow 
the perception of this church became that it's a it's a, an exclusive place for morally elite people. And those are the people who belong in church. I mean, I can't tell you how many people I've been around and, you know, have great conversations with and they're normal humans cussing, you know, whatever. And then they hear that I'm a pastor and there's like this shame that comes over them. And I just, it makes me so sad because I see the life of Jesus and he never, he was never like that with people. He was the exact opposite. He, he included everybody. I mean, the most famous verse says, you know, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world so that everybody might be saved. And I mean, that's every, you know, that's everybody. So, so it's important to me, but I, I wonder if the reason the church became a stereotype of being exclusive instead of inclusive is that our view of God has been wrong. And that if, if I feel like I do the right things and I do good things so that I earn God's love or I earn his acceptance or I earn his forgiveness, then that makes me feel elite and that makes me feel special. But for us in how we see the Bible, there's a verse in the Bible. Sorry, like if I go versey, is, is that like too preachy? I, no, I love it. I'm always fascinated by it, by the way. When I say I, I can't do Bible verses, I'm like, I'm always fascinated and amazed by people that can. So please do it. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> there's a verse, and I don't know where it's in Corinthians, I think somewhere. It says that Jesus, who is God in human form, who was a real person who really lived, and he lived a perfect life. And he lived and then he died and then he rose, rose again. That's why we celebrate Easter. And through that, he took on all of our wrong and gave us essentially his perfect life. So this verse says that Jesus, who knew no sin, who did nothing wrong, he became sin. When he was on the cross, he took on every sin, every wrong, you know, whether it's sin or wrong or however you want to define it, every selfish act that every human being would ever do. Jesus literally took that upon himself, took the death, like the ultimate penalty for any wrong is the death penalty. Jesus took that death penalty and then rose again. So it says Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin. He took it all on him so that you and I, so that any human who ever wants to can become right with God. And so they, we call it the great exchange, that Jesus lived a perfect life. I have not lived a perfect life. So all I need to do is say, Jesus, I trust you. And I get his perfection and he already took on all my sin. And so because I realize I'm accepted by God, not because of what I have done, but because of what Jesus did, not because I have a morally elite performance, but because Jesus had a perfect performance, there's no room to me for elitism. There's no room for exclusivity. How could, when I know I'm here not because of anything that I did, but because of everything Jesus did. How could I ever push anybody out or say, you don't belong here or you're not good enough to be here or say you can't, that just absolutely does not make make sense to me. And so I think for us to build a church that's welcoming to anybody and inclusive actually just comes down to how we see ourselves, which is I, I'm a mess without Jesus and I, I needed him to come and save me. And anybody who is willing can have the same experience with him. And so it should just be an open arms community. Oh, Chelsea, that is just, I mean, th- that is the perfect answer for everything. I'm, I'm actually speechless for that. I loved that response. Sorry, it was a little preachy. So I'm sorry. <laughs> not, not preachy, but I love, I loved it. And I love, I love when you preach <laughs> <laughs> because you guys aren't preachy and it, it's, and that's what I love about you. You're real. And 
I'm telling you, every time I walk into your church, I'm just so amazed. I'm like, I wish I had this when I was younger and had this kind of view on Christianity. And I'm so grateful that we have found you guys because it's completely shifted how I view things. And again, how I've I choose to live my life now. That's how I feel about my kids too. I mean, we grew up in church. It was awesome, but maybe not quite as inclusive or loving as the church that Jude and I are creating. And we have our whole whole journey that led us to where we are. But I look at what my kids get to get, not just from us, but from church. And I'm so grateful that they get to be in this environment of just knowing that Jesus loves them and accepts them and they don't have to earn it. And because of that, that's the filter for their kindness towards others is like, ah, oh, Jesus was kind to me. So I can be kind to humanity and, you know, so all of those things. So yeah, I feel the same way about our kids and myself. Like I, oh, it's real. It, yeah. It's real and genuine for us. Otherwise we're just not even in, it makes no sense to do it. So mm-hmm. when you've been talking, I've been thinking so much about my husband. So my husband, Josh is super, since he was born, he is a person that needs to understand all of the whys. He's now a doctor. He was a philosophy major growing philosophy up. Philosophy major. That makes so much sense. Yes. Right? Yeah. Completely. But like what doctor is a philosophy major? But that's how he thinks, right? It, it's very much that. And I know that when he was younger, he would ask a lot of questions about like, why? Mm. Why do we do this? What it's the ritual that would happen, he would always kind of push back. And it's not that he was necessarily pushing back against faith, but he's wondering why all this stuff happened. And I think that he didn't get those answers. I think that delayed his having a strong faith for a long time. And I don't know if you know this about me, Chelsea, but uh, about two years ago, I was diagnosed with cancer. So I had, I mean, Josh is a doctor. He is a person that's trying to understand the world. And how do you make sense of a world when the worst thing you could have ever imagined happens to your wife and who's a dietitian, who's healthy, who takes care of herself. And I think that existential question for him was so unbelievably overwhelming when he didn't have strong faith because he couldn't make, there's no, you can't make sense of it rationally. You cannot. And so I think that there was, faith has been something that's been so important for him over these past two years and watching him kind of grow in that way has been amazing. But I think there's so many people that come into this journey later in life and it looks different for everyone. So number one, do you have any words of wisdom for someone that's just in a hard time and is just not knowing how to make sense of something? But then furthermore, if you find faith later in life, what is there some sort of crash course? Is there some sort of basics? Where do you even start? Oh, those are such good questions. And I think first, people who find themselves in hardship, I mean, I think our in, our world has found itself in hardship, you know, d- very different levels in the last two years, whether it's a global pandemic or an awakening to realizing the injustice, the racial injustice that is in our world, or even now seeing this war in Ukraine. It's just realizing there are things that we are not going to have answers for that aren't going to make sense and really things that we can't control. And don't you think in so many ways, that's the hardest thing when we realize, I'm sure for your husband, like this was in his field of expertise that he should be be able to control. You guys did all of the controls, right? You controlled your diet. He, you know, he's a medicine and all of a sudden you end up still facing something that is out of your control. How was your diagnosis, by the way? I feel like I should know this, but 
No, I'm I'm okay. So I'm I'm in remission now and they're just it was a tumor in my chest. So it kind of just wrecked havoc in that area. So we're picking up the pieces now and moving forward, which I think that's actually something most people don't talk about. I think that kind of that post remission journey is sometimes harder than when you're in it. Cause when you're in it, you know you just have to fight. But when you've gotten past it, that's when kind of the real big life questions start coming up. Like what, how do I make sense of what the hell just happened to me, my family? the future, all of that stuff comes. Yeah. It's like you realize there is, there is a post life and all of a sudden you're faced with the, with all of the questions. I think a letting go of control is something, it's an illusion that we have when we're, you know, when we're 18, 19, we feel like we can control our outcome. We feel like we can control our life. We feel like we can control our kids. We feel like, you know, we can control these things. And, you know, one of the things that Jesus said when like I'm trying to answer both of your questions in one. One of the things that Jesus said when he was calling the people to be with him when he was here on planet earth that we can read about in the Bible is Jesus said these simple words of follow me. Hey, just follow me. Just, just follow me. And it was very much just a daily walk and a daily relationship of walking and living life with Jesus. And for these, they call them the disciples for these disciples in the Bible, it was very much a, okay, we're going to go where Jesus says to go. And he says, we're going to this town. We're going to go here. And he says, we're going to that town. We're going to go there. And they followed him in a very physical, relatable, natural form. Obviously we don't have Jesus with us right now. He resurrected, he ascended into heaven, but the Bible talks about, he left his spirit with us to live on the inside of us. And so now we have this, like this inner, this inner voice, this inner peace, this inner leading that we actually can follow. And I think probably the most important thing, whether you're going through hardship, recovering from hardship, or you're just coming to faith and you're wondering, wondering, why can't I say wondering, (laughs) wondering (laughs) where to start? It's simply at a place of, okay, Jesus, I'll follow you. I will follow you. And wherever you lead me today, I'm going to be at peace being there. And when you lead me tomorrow, I'm going to be at peace to be there. And just realizing that it's this lifelong relationship and this lifelong journey that we get to walk with Jesus, but also in a place of surrender. And sometimes that is the hardest place to, especially when you're just starting out, because you don't know if he's trustworthy or not. You don't know if that voice is trustworthy. You don't know if God is really good. All these things that you don't know that you have to to grow, to learn and become. But he really is... God really is so faithful to just lead us at a pace that he wants to lead us into. And in a lot of ways, I like bring the conversation full circle. I actually think it's so amazing for you to just do this journey with your kids and learn together. And in some ways, learning with your kids is going to be the best way that you can learn yourselves and grow. And so is there a crash course? Like, yeah, in some ways, like if you go to the church home app, there's like start here, you know, classes and things that you can take to just kind of know the basics and some of the parameters and things. So those are available. But I think it's the, my biggest crash course advice I would say is just let it be a daily walk and then you'll end up where you're supposed to be. That sounds very existential maybe, but you really will. I love that. No, it makes, it makes so much sense, especially being in it. It's just at a certain point you, by acting, you learn, right? Like you said, in the beginning of this conversation, behaviors are created by the, the actions, kind of the things that we do, not what we say. And so just doing those things over and over 
can build whatever your your faith may look like, whatever whatever it is, that is a good starting place. I love that answer. Mm-hmm. Speaking of crash courses, someone on our Instagram had asked the question, how do you begin to pray with your spouse? And I can so relate to this because I remember when Tyler and I were first dating and it was when I... I went through phases of like growing my relationship. I, w- I was on this like, I don't want to say roller coaster because it wasn't up and down. It was more of this like intermittent. I was really intense with God in parts of college and then I was not. And then I was really intense with God. And so when I, before I met Tyler, I was really diligent about going to church and praying and, and all the things. And I was trying to like I'm like, okay, so how do I pray? (laughs) Like if I have to pray out loud in front of people, how do I pray? (laughs) Because I can talk to God in my head just fine. But then like once I have to say it out loud, I'm like, oh gosh, I'm so nervous. And so when Tyler and I first started dating, like some of the first times that we would like spend the night together, we would literally just like talk all night. But we would pray before we went to sleep. And I'm like, okay, this is kind of new for me to like pray out loud with somebody. (laughs) Can't believe I'm saying this out loud, but, but I feel like I was like, all right, here, I'm just going to start and pray and say what's on my mind, I guess. But I I love that someone asked this question. And I told Tyler last night that someone asked this and he's like, that's a really good question because like, where, where do you start? It's such a good question because prayer is actually so intimate I feel like we're made up of a body of a soul, which is our mind and our emotions. And we're made up of our spirit, which is like the innermost part of who we are, our conscious. And it's one thing to have physical intimacy, you know, kissing, touching, having sex, all those good things. It's another thing to have intimacy in our soul, which is really, well, how am I really feeling? What do I really think? What am I really afraid? You know, like getting deep into our soul is a level of intimacy, but opening up your spirit and letting somebody see like the the deepest part of, of who you are, which is the part that connects with God, letting somebody else see that can be very vulnerable and can feel very open. But I think it's worth it because if, once you're connected in your intimate body, soul, and spirit, that's just such a beautiful, deep bond that you and your husband are going to need for you <laughs> for the journey of many, many years, <laughs> many, many years ahead. So I love I love the question and I I love just first of all acknowledging that it's it's hard it's hard for somebody to become a part of that very deep intimate place. I think it's also hard because for a lot of us our perception of prayer can be very ritualized. If we've seen it on TV it's our father who art in heaven mm-hmm. hallowed be your name you know whatever it feels like there's a right way to do prayer and a wrong way to do prayer and so if we're having intimacy anxiety, as well as performance anxiety, that there's a right way to perform this ritual and a wrong way to perform it. That feels a lot of new all at once. So I would say, first of all, admit to each other that it's hard and just say, Hey, this is, this is a a new level of intimacy that makes me feel awkward and insecure, but I, 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 but I want to do it with you. I want to try this and then have a conversation together about what are our performance anxieties around prayer? Do we feel like there's a right way to do it, a wrong way to do it? What was your experience? What What's the baggage that we're each bringing into this really intimate act that we're about to do together, right? I think we should have the same conversation around sex. Like what's, what's your history? What's your past? What baggage are you bringing into it? Have that same conversation around prayer because it's an intimate act. And then just 
setting all of those performance issues aside, opening up your heart and talking to God in front of your spouse or the person that you love can be so beautiful. And there's no right way. There's no wrong way. It's just, God, I'm feeling scared or I love you or thank you for loving me. And just letting that come out of the inside of you, a really practical tool. Gosh, I feel like I'm a church home, walking church home commercial of of all the things that we do. But one of the things that Jude and I do that I love is we do make daily guided prayers. And it's just like taking a verse of scripture and leading people through prayer every day. And hopefully it's not producing performance anxiety in people, but it does give people prompts for where to start and what to say. And even to do that together as a spouse, as, as a couple can be a really, really good place to start as well. Oh, I love that you just said that because I completely forgot that you guys had those. A lot of mornings, Tyler and I will wake up and and start those prayers so we get to start our day with you, which also just makes us happy. And it's the best feeling because it does give you that structure a little bit of like, okay, today I need to pray about this. It's almost like a journal entry. Sometimes you sit down with a journal and you're like, oh my gosh, like I could write about anything. What do I do? But it, it's giving you those prompts and it's so helpful. Yes, I'm not a I'm not a huge talker by nature. I'm so much more more of an internal processor. And so sometimes the thought of prayer of hey, just sit before God and talk to him about anything is really scary. I still feel nervous when I call my mom sometimes on the phone and just have to talk about anything, let alone God who I can't see. So yes, those prompts can be very helpful. Right. Okay, well, Chelsea, I wish that we could have a full series with you because I really just want to keep this going all day and keep talking to you. Everyone that's listening, please go listen to their podcast in good faith if you haven't already. It is so good and you'll get to hear so much more of this and more. But Chelsea, thank you for being here. We just love you so much. Love you guys and Haley. So appreciate you, Jessica. It's so fun to get to know you. And you have the perfect podcast voice, by the way, Jessica. Like that is exactly what I wish my podcast voice was. Not that we're comparing, but (laughs) doesn't she have a great voice? Yeah, it's perfect. It's really perfect and amazing. But thank you for including me and uh, letting me talk about my favorite things in the world: babies and kids and church and Jesus. So thank you. It was really amazing. We hope you found something meaningful from this episode. It'd mean the world to us if you'd take a second to rate, review, and follow the show and tell your friends about it. It's the best way to support the show. And if you have any questions you want us to cover on the show, call our voicemail line at 866-444-FULL. We want to hear from you. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Meaningful Living and visit our website, MeaningfulLiving.com for resources, courses, and to shop our favorites. Can't wait to see you next week. 